Welcome to Bible 101, and this is our start to the lessons of the Bible. And the purpose of Bible 101 is to create a structure of the Bible in your mind so that as you read it and also study it, it'll make sense. Um, so that's the purpose of what we're doing. The Bible is huge. It's about oh, well over 600,000 words long. It's all divvied up across 66 smaller documents called books of the Bible. So there are 66 books of the Bible. And that's because the Bible is a collection of writings from different authors writing at different times. In some ways, that makes it easier to approach the Bible. Uh, we can read it in chunks rather than needing to read the whole Bible at once. But the Bible itself is a book. In fact, the word Bible comes from the Latin and Greek words book, uh, Biblia and Biblios, respectively. But it's a book of books. That means if you want to know the Bible better, you need to get acquainted with the 66 documents it comprises. Okay, So let me tell you how the chunks are put together. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is before Christ. The New Testament is after Christ. The Old Testament is about 400 years before the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament is broken up into five parts. The Law of Moses, which I'll be talking about today. Uh, the next is the History of Israel. Um, some poetry where it comes from Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and so on. Then there's the Major Prophets and the Minor Prophets. Then we go into the New Testament, and that's where we begin to talk about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we talk about the history of the church, that's Acts. Uh, and then there are uh, epistles. There's specific epistles like Romans and 1 Corinthians and so on. And then there's the generic epistles, for example, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and so on. We'll be talking about that. And then the New Testament ends with prophecy, which is the book of Revelation. So today in Bible 101, what we will be talking about is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five books. Again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books are the first five books of the Bible, and they're in the, um, in the Old Testament. So Genesis answers two big questions. How did God's relationship with the world begin? And where did the nation of Israel come from? So let me tell you, there's a fun fact about Genesis. Most of the famous Bible stories you've heard about are probably found in the book of Genesis. This is where the stories of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the Ark, the Tower of Babel, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob's Ladder, and Joseph's Coat of Many Colors are all recorded in the book of Genesis. In the Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God saves Israel from slavery in Egypt and then enters into a special relationship with them. In the book of Leviticus, God gives Israel instructions on how to worship him. And in Numbers, Israel fails to trust and obey God and wanders in the wilderness for 40 years. So we'll talk about that. And the fifth book, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives Israel instructions, and in some ways a recap of the laws in Exodus through Numbers, for how to love and obey God in the Promised Land. Uh, these first five books of the Bible relate to the law as indicated in the Bible. So let me first start with Genesis. 
Um, so as I said before, Genesis answers two big questions. How did God's relationship with the world begin, and where did the nation of Israel come from? The author is traditionally Moses, but the stories are also much older. Um, on its own, the book of Genesis reads like a string of epic stories, a semi-tragic saga of the world that just keeps going wrong despite its creator's intention. The book of Genesis is full of stories we know from uh, studying like Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, and Jacob's Ladder. Okay, Genesis is the second longest book of the Bible after Jeremiah. So specifically, it's the story of the promises God made to humans, promises that God begins to carry out through the rest of the Bible. In fact, if the main thrust of Genesis were summed up in one verse, it would be these words that God said to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 7, verse 7, the scripture reads, I will establish my covenant, that means agreement, uh, a, a legal agreement, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So some of the major characters that we talk about in this book, is first there's God, also referred to as Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, including the humans, Adam and Eve. God makes all things very good, but when both humans and divine beings rebel against God, the world slips back into chaos. Then there's Abraham, formerly Abram. Um, a, he's a Meso Mesopotamian whom God chooses as the patriarch of a special nation. Abraham journeys through the land of Canaan, which God promises to give Abraham descendants. God makes a covenant. It's a special binding agreement with Abraham, which is where Israel's story as a nation truly begins. Um, the next we'll talk about Jacob and Israel, uh, Abraham's grandson. Uh, uh, Jacob tricks his father and brother, finagling his way into receiving a special blessing. He has 12 sons, which the 12 tribes of Israel trace their lineage back to. Okay, uh, let's talk about Joseph. Joseph, this is Jacob's favorite son, who has a prophetic dream of greatness. He is also able to interpret other people's dreams. His brothers sell him into slavery, but through his God-given wisdom, he ascends to the position of second-in-command over all Egypt. Um, Genesis also introduces Abraham, the ancestor of Israel, through whom the whole world will be blessed. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three chief patriarchs of the, of the nation, Israel, uh, which also gets its name from Jacob. Uh, Jacob's sons and grandsons have their own families, which eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Genesis told the ancient Israelites that God had befriended their ancestors, promised them a land, and had planned to bless the world through them. But the story of Genesis is really just the grand prologue to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Together, these five books tell the story of how Israel became God's special nation. So Genesis sets forth several biblical themes that weave across the rest of the Bible. God's authority is number one. God is the ma maker of all things. He is uh, sovereign over nature and humanity. We see his creative work in the first two chapters of Genesis, but we also see his sovereignty in choosing Abraham, blessing the Hebrews, and protecting Egypt from famine. Man's rebellion, that's the second one. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in Eden, but that's only when the, be that's only the beginning, I should say. 
Cain represents an unacceptable sacrifice. The world becomes a violent in, in days of Noah. Uh, people construct the Tower of Babel, and so on and so forth. Uh, the next one, uh, God's judgment. Uh, God's judgment uh, relates to this. God evicts Adam and Eve. He sends a flood to destroy the earth. He rains fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in Genesis 19. God is holy and sin must be punished. Okay? Then there's God's preservation of life. God promises a descendant to Eve. Uh, he saves Noah's family in an ark. He delivers Jacob from Esau's wrath. And he allows Egypt to survive a harsh famine through Joseph's wisdom. Uh, then there's the blood sacrifice. Okay? God skins animals to cover Adam and Eve after they sin, and he provides a ram for Abraham to take Isaac's place. The blood sacrifice motive becomes far more prominent in the book of Leviticus. So the, the basic themes are God's authority, man's rebellion, God's judgment, God's preservation of life, blood sacrifice. Okay? So let's talk about the different uh, parts of the book of Genesis. Uh, part one of four, Abraham and Isaacs. Hundreds of years later, God calls Noah's descendant Abraham to leave his family and journey to the land of Canaan. God promises to bless Abraham with many descendants and to bless all the nations of the world through him. Abraham believes God's promise, even though he is old and childish. God considers him to be righteous and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Later, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Okay, Part 2 of 4, Isaac. Isaac dwells in the land of Canaan and has twin sons. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Let me tell you about Jacob and Esau. Jacob grows up, tricks Esau into giving away his blessing, and Esau's not so happy about this. So, in part three of four, uh, Jacob leaves town to live with his uncle. He marries, has 13 children, and lives with his uncle for 20 years before God calls him back to Canaan. As Jacob returns to the land of Abraham and Isaac, his name is changed to Israel. Okay, and now part four of four, Joseph. Of Jacob's 12 sons and one daughter, Joseph is his favorite. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery and he becomes a prisoner in Egypt. His God-given ability to interpret dreams becomes valuable to the Pharaoh. However, and so Joseph is released from prison and made second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph warns Pharaoh that a terrible famine is coming and stockpiles food for the coming years. Joseph's predictions are correct. The famine reaches Canaan, and his brothers come to Egypt to buy food. The brothers reconcile, and Joseph provides all the children of Israel to move to Egypt until the famine is over. The book of Genesis ends with the death of Joseph, whose last prediction is that God will bring the children of Israel back to the promised land. God begins fulfilling this in the next movement of the story. That's in the book of Exodus. So let's go to number two, the book of Exodus. This is where God saves Israel from slavery and then enters into a special relationship with them. The book of Exodus is a story of God rescuing the children of Israel from Egypt and forging a special relationship with them. The book gets its name from the nations of Israel's mass immigration from Egypt, but that's only the first part of the story. The book follows Israel out of Egypt into the desert where the nation is specifically aligned with God, as opposed to the idols 
of Egypt and the surrounding nations. This is the book in which God first lays out his expectations for the people of Israel. We know these expectations as the Ten Commandments. Most of the Old Testament is about how Israel meets or fails to meet these expectations. So if you want to understand any other book of the Old Testament, you'll need a basic understanding of what happens in Exodus. Exodus is where the story of the Bible really starts picking up. God already made his promises to Abraham. His descendants would be a mighty people. They would possess the land of Canaan, and through them, the whole earth will be blessed by God. While in Genesis, we see God working through a family, in Exodus, we see God working with an entire nation. So, in the first part, there's three parts. I'll tell you about three parts. The first part, uh, Exodus uh, picks off where Genesis leaves off. The young nation of Israel is in Egypt. They were invited by Joseph, the one with the famous coat. A new pharaoh notices the Israelites multiplying and enslaves them. Afraid of an uprising, he orders that all Hebrew sons should be cast into the Nile at birth. But one baby boy escapes his fate. The Hebrew Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household when adult Moses kills an abusive Egypt Egyptian slave driver, he flees the country. Okay, the second part, this is where God saves Israel. Forty years later, God appears to Moses as a burning bush and sends him to deliver Israel from the land of Pharaoh. Moses, with the help of his brother Aaron, confronts Pharaoh on God's behalf. Let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends those famous ten plagues upon the Egyptians. When the last plague kills Pharaoh's son, he finally allows Israel to leave. The Israelites celebrate the first ever Passover and then set out into the wilderness. Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army to recapture them. God saves Israel miraculously by parting the Red Sea and allowing Israel to escape their would-be captors and then uses the sea to wash away Pharaoh's army. The Israelites leave Egypt and make their way to the foot of Mount Sinai in the wilderness. God descends on the top of the mountain and then something amazing happens. So this is part three. God makes a covenant with Israel. The Israelites leave Egypt and makes their way to Mount Sinai where God gives his laws to Moses. God makes a covenant with the nation of Israel and the generations to come. Because he rescued them from Egypt, Israel is to observe his rules. God speaks the Ten Commandments directly to the whole nation of Israel, and he relays specific ordinances to Moses on the mountain, and the people agree to it. After this, God makes plans for a place of worship. He is going to come down from the mountaintop and dwell in the midst of the people of Israel, but in order for this to happen, the people need to prepare a portable tabernacle for him. God gives Moses the plans for the tabernacle, the sacred furniture, and the garments for the priests. But already things aren't going as planned. While God is giving Moses the laws for the people, the people start worshiping a golden calf. Not cool. Moses pleads with God on Israel's behalf, and the nation is given another go at keeping God's commandments. And so Israel builds the tabernacle, a holy tent. The book of Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. God is now dwelling among his chosen people, Israel. However, now there's another problem. 
How will the people live in the presence of such a holy and powerful being? That's what the next book, Leviticus, is about. So Exodus has a tight cast of important characters to keep an eye on. Uh, we talk about God, the creator of heaven and earth. Moses is the greatest of Old Testament prophets who serves as a go-between for God and the other humans in the book of Exodus. Moses negotiates with Pharaoh for Israel's freedom, passes God's laws onto the people of Israel, and even pleads for mercy on Israel's behalf when, when they anger God. And Aaron, this is uh, Moses' brother, and right hand. Aaron assists Moses as spokesperson and eventually is made the high priest of the nation of Israel. We talked about Pharaoh. This is the chief antagonist of the Exodus story. Pharaoh enslaved the nation of Israel, commits genocide, and is generally a very bad person. Pharaoh is worshipped as part of the Egyptian uh, pantheon, a lesser god laying an Ill illegitimate claim to God's people. God defeats Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt by sending a series of ten devastating plagues and finally destroying Pharaoh's uh, army in the Red Sea. So the key themes in Exodus. Exodus is all about God making Israel his own. God rescues the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom he made some important promises to go back to Genesis. Then he gives uh, them his expectations, a list of do's and don'ts. Finally, God sets up camp in the midst of the new nation. They are his people, and he is their God. When God gives Israel the Ten Commandments, he frames them by stating his relationship to the Hebrews. This verse sums up the themes of the Exodus uh, story nicely. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And that's Exodus 20, verse 2. Let me tell you about the four parts. Um, part one, it's hard to miss this one. The entire book is about God hearing Israel's cries for help, rescuing them from their oppressors and making them his own. Part two of four. Like the rest of the Old Testament, uh, this covenant is, has a big theme here. God makes a solemn binding agreement with the people of Israel, establishing himself as their God and them as his people. This relationship comes with certain expectations with the benefits for the Israelites. If they uphold their end of the agreement and consequences, if they do not. Uh, part three of four. Toward the beginning of the book, the cries of Israel rise up to God, who hears them and remembers his promises to Abraham back in Genesis. In the middle of the book, God meets Israel in the wilderness. He is high atop a mountain, and they are on the plain below. God is closer to the people, but still a ways off. However, by the end of the book, God is dwelling in the middle of Israel's camp in the wilderness. Moses believed that it is God's presence among the people that sets Israel apart from every other nation in the world. And part four of fourth, the law, this is related to the theme of the covenant, specifically the expectation God has for the people of Israel. From chapter 20 onward, we start seeing more and more directives for the people on how to live as the people of God. Now we're going to go to Leviticus. God gives Israel instructions for how to worship him. And this book is filled with details on how the people of God should live, eat, sacrifice, celebrate, and more. The name Leviticus refers to the many laws for the priests, all of whom belong to the tribe of Levi. Um, here are some important characters of Leviticus. Of course, we know 
about God. The whole book is about how uh, the nation of Israel needs to live in order to survive the uh, living in the presence of such a powerful holy being. Moses, of course, he led the Israelites from Egypt to Sinai. At this point in the story, Moses has already passed along many laws to the people of Israel on God's behalf in Leviticus. Moses continues to list the ways Israel can stay pure enough to live alongside their God. And of course, Aaron, that's Moses' older brother and the high priest of Israel, Aaron is a character to keep an eye on throughout uh, these first five books of the um, Bible. Uh, Leviticus's narrative elements have a lot to do with Aaron. In this book, Aaron is uh, consecrated as the high priest, but it's also the book in which God kills Aaron's sons. So you'll read about that when you read uh, the book of Leviticus. So uh, in chapter 20, verse 26, uh, the scripture reads, Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the people to be mine. That's the key theme in Leviticus. So let's get a bird's eye view about Genesis, uh, Exodus, and Leviticus and how it all ties together. Okay? So in Genesis, we saw Israel's origin story at the Tower of Babel. God and the other divine beings scattered the families of the world into the nations with their own languages. A few generations later, God chooses Abraham as a patriarch of his own special nation. In Exodus, uh, Abraham's descendants have multiplied, becoming a mighty people group cohabitating with the Egyptians. The Pharaoh enslaved the people for a few centuries until God rescues them. After a dramatic exit from Egypt, God makes a special agreement with Israel, making them his people and himself their only God. The people then build a tabernacle, and the creator of the world begins dwelling among his people. Okay, that is why Leviticus is so important. It's a new normal. Yahweh, that's God, is publicly living with humans. This hasn't always happened since the Garden of Eden, when God would visit with Adam and Eve. Last time God shared a place with humans, the humans, with the help from an evil serpent, messed all of that up. So, how can they get it right this time? Well, uh, not a lot of story happens in Leviticus, but... Anyways, the people stay camped at Mount Sinai throughout the book. It's not until the book of Numbers that they resume their journey to the Promised Land, and that journey isn't completed until the book of Joshua. So that's uh, a little bit later. Um, so the quick outline of Leviticus is how to give offerings. Aaron his sons and his sons are ordained. Uh, the cleanliness laws for the congregation. Atonement for sin and how to be a holy culture. Um, let's go to the book of Numbers. Israel fails to trust and obey God and wanders in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, So you've heard that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? So the book of Numbers tells a story. Numbers follows Moses and Israel's journey from the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, that's where uh, the book of Leviticus ends. Uh, to the edge of the promised land of Canaan. If this were a regular road trip of the time, the journey would only take about two weeks. So they weren't that far. So why does it take 40 years? Well, when the people get about halfway there, Moses sends a few spies into the land to scout it out for the upcoming invasion. The current inhabitants probably aren't going to welcome them with open arms, of course. So most of the spies come back in a panic. 
claiming that the Canaanites are far too powerful for Israel to overcome. This leads to a revolt with the people refusing to take the land. God gives them their wish, decreeing that the whole generation will die in the wilderness and the land will be taken by their children. So let me tell you about the important characters in Numbers. There's God, creator of heaven and earth, who chose Israel as a special nation and dwells in their midst. Of course, there's Moses, the prophet and human leader of the nation of Israel. He's the chief spokesperson for God to his people and vice versa. Aaron is Moses' brother and the high priest of Israel. Um, there's uh, Eleazar, Aaron's son, who takes his place when Aaron dies. There's Balaam, a diviner for hire from far away. He is hired by Israel's enemies to curse God's people. There's Joshua, Moses' aide who spies on the people of Canaan. God selects him to be Moses' uh, successor. So here are the key themes. What is Numbers about? Um, there are a lot of different things happening al along the Israelites' journey, including that episode with uh, the talking donkey. But the main focus of the book is Israel's repeated rebellion and God's repeated mercy and discipline on his people. If we had to choose uh, just one verse to sum up the key theme in the book, it would be Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. Moses' leadership. Moses deals with the pressures of leading a new nation, at one point asking God why he has to bear the burden of leaving them to Canaan. He feels like an unappreciated nanny forced to carry more than 600,000 squalling brats across the wilderness. Moses tells God early in the book, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. And that's in Numbers chapter 11, 14 through 15. Time and time again, God makes it clear to the people that Moses is his chosen prophet and Aaron is his chosen priest. However, due to an episode of Moses' disobedience, he is not permitted to enter Canaan either. So Numbers shows us how holy God dwells with his people. Israel rebels against God and even Moses disobeys him. But God is faithful to bring his nation to the promised land. God keeps his promises. The promises he made to Abraham in Genesis, along with his promises to bless and punish Israel. So let me give you a bird's eye view again uh, of what's happening at the start of the Bible. In Genesis, God makes promises to Abraham, the patriarch of Israel. God specifically promises that his descendants will be given uh, the land of Canaan, that the nations would be blessed through him and that God will be blessed will bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. Abraham's family grows, and the book ends with about 70 of his descendants as refugees in Egypt. At the start of Exodus, the nation of Israel has grown, but they've been enslaved by their Egyptian overlords. God sends his people, a prophet Moses, who speaks on God's behalf to both Israel and Pharaoh. God frees Israel and leads them to the mountain in the wilderness, that's Mount Sinai, where he makes a special agreement with them. They promise to follow his commands, and he promises to dwell among them, giving them his blessing and protection. The book of Leviticus focuses on how a nation of mortals can co cohabitate with 
the God of heaven. Okay, Numbers picks up the story right as the Israelites have been at Sinai for a year. Okay, so this is uh, the different parts of Sinai. I I, what am I saying? Uh, The different parts of Numbers. Uh, Part one is preparing to leave Sinai. Uh, The book opens with Moses uh, taking a census of the people in Israel. That's why we call the book Numbers. Israel has been camping in the wilderness for a year now, and it's time for them to be on the move. Moses gives the nation orders for how the 12 tribes should position themselves as they camp and as they move through the wilderness with the tabernacle of God being at the center of the camp. A good deal, uh, I should say, a good deal of new laws, rituals, and sacrifices that take place here. Okay, This is in a very pleasant journey. The people complain against God and Moses, and God sends fire and a plague. Moses' brother Aaron and sister Miriam speak out against him, and Miriam is temporarily afflicted with leprosy. It's not really great. So in part two, this is where Israel rejects the land. When the Israelites get about halfway to Canaan, Moses sends 12 spies into the land to scope it out. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, tell the people that the land is good and God will give it to them. The other 10, however, have no confidence that they can take the land. And they believe the forces protecting Canaan outmatch Israel. The nation isn't very happy to hear this. So they turn on Moses. They refuse to take the land. And so God says, okay, you will die in the wilderness and I'll give it to your children. And in Numbers 20 through 21, things get a little worse before they get better. On this trip, Moses disobeys God in front of the people. And he too is prohibited from entering the promised land. Aaron dies and his son takes his place. Israel defeats several enemies along the way. They end up just across the Jordan River from Canaan in the plains of Moab. Okay, and in part three, Israel settles across from Canaan. So Israel makes a camp just across the Jordan River from Jericho. Uh, They're a force to be reckoned with. They've defeated some armies and a few of the tribes beginning settling to the east side of Jordan permanently. As you can imagine, the surrounding nations are surprised. They hire Balaam to curse Israel, which doesn't work out. Remember God's promise to Abraham in Genesis? Then Balaam gets a second nation to send in their daughters to seduce the Israelites and get them to worship their gods. That doesn't end well for Israel at first, yet another plague. But it's an even worse deal for the other nation. Five of their rulers and Balaam are killed. There's yet another census. Joshua is named Moses' successor. And generally speaking, the whole nation is made ready for the next chapter, entering the promised land. But not just yet. Moses has a different important message for them, but that's covered next in Deuteronomy. So let's talk about Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book I'll be talking about today. This is where Moses gives Israel instructions. Uh, and in some ways, a recap of the laws in Exodus and Numbers and for how to love and obey God in the promised land. Okay, In Deuteronomy, Moses reminds people of God's actions in the past. Um, his promises to Abraham in Genesis. His faithfulness in rescuing Israel in Exodus. His holiness in Leviticus. His punishment on the disobedience in Numbers. Okay, 
So here's a quick outline of Deuteronomy. Number one, it's a recap of Israel's journey from Egypt. Number two, it's a recap of Israel's relationship with God. Number three, how to love God and keep his commandments. Uh, blessings is number four. Blessings, curses, and restoration. That's number four. And it ends, number five, the death of Moses. So here's an overview of Deuteronomy. So finally, Israel is just across the Jordan River from the promised land of Canaan. Moses has led the young nation out of Egypt and on a 40-year journey through the wilderness, and they have just defeated several enemies before setting up camp here. Three of the 12 tribes are, red, are already settling the land east of the Jordan, and the whole nation is a, almost ready to enter the land of God promised to their ancestor, Abraham. That's back in the book of Genesis. The last time Israel was this close to the promised land, they doubted God's promise and tried to go back to Egypt. Because of their unbelief, God banned that generation of Israelites from the land, causing them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, you'll see that in numbers for the whole story. Now the old generation has died and the new generation is about to take claim on the land. Before they do, Moses rallies the people to remind them of God's law and why they should obey him. This is how the book of Deuteronomy gets its name. It's the second giving of God's law. Okay, so here are the theme verses of Deuteronomy. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I will have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live you and your descendants by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 through 20. So what I've just talked about are the first five books of the Bible. Here's a preview of the next five books. Um, so we've just finished talking about the first five books. Here's the next six, uh, five books, I should say. Number six will be about Joshua. Uh, this is Israel's new leaders. Uh, this, le uh, Joshua leads Israel to conquer the promised land, then parcels out territories to the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's a fun fact. You've probably heard of a few fantastic stories from the book. The Battle of Jericho, uh, and the day the sun stood still. But most of the action happens in the first half of the book. The last half is pretty much all about divvying up the real estate. Okay. Uh, number seven, Judges. Israel enters a cycle of turning from God, falling captive to oppressive nations, calling out to God, and being rescued by leaders. Uh, God sends their way, called Judges. Um, and uh, number eight, that's the book of Ruth. Two widows lose everything and find hope in Israel, which leads to the birth of the future King David. Uh, number nine is Samuel. Israel demands a king who turns out to be quite a disappointment. Uh, in Samuel two, second of Samuel, I should say. Number 10, David, a man after God's own heart, becomes the king of Israel. And that wraps up our introduction to Bible 101 and the start of talking about the five books of the Bible. Today, we spoke about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy.
My name is David Ewan, and this is the Resurrection Center.